Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Giving Jesus Our Nothing was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the 20th in our series, The Kingdom. I love being uh, part of this community of senders, yes? Uh, people uh, taking seriously Jesus' uh, word to us. Uh, Darren set us up for this last week with the sending of the, of the disciples. Um, and we'll continue on that a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit today. One of the things that we probably should uh, kind of keep in, in mind um, is that Jesus is not saving you so that you can go to heaven. Um, he's, he wants to do that, uh, but he wants to save you so that you can be useful to him in his kingdom coming. He's got something for you to do. Um, and and um, where can, I, can you bring me back down a little bit? I'm, I heard this part before, and it's so. No, sorry. Um, no, it, it, and, and it's important for us to remember this. Otherwise, we think that the gospel is about a personal salvation, and while it is, it really God's vision extends beyond you. Does yours? Does your vision extend to being useful and being able to become useful to Him, to partner with Him in His plan to save the world? to take over the planet, to restore it to the purpose for which it was originally created. He wants you to become the kinds of people then that he can trust. That he can trust to empower to do whatever you want. To become the kinds of people who are good for nothing. Not good because you're afraid of punishment, not good because you're promised reward, but good because you're good. He has been formed in you. And that goodness flows out, empowered by the Spirit. That's what the garden is about. It's not, and in fact, the more we read the text of Scripture, the more we realize that we're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming to us. The realization that God wants to form His kingdom all over this planet. Isn't that what we pray on a regular basis? Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in the heavens, that's what we want, that's what we desire. How many of you know, however, that we need some training in that kind of trustworthiness? We can't yet be fully trusted with that kind of power. We can't be yet fully trusted with that kind of responsibility. We've got to grow up into it. And so he is doing that. In the message that Darren uh, brought us last week, Jesus is saying, I want you guys to spend less time hanging out with me. I want you to spend less time just hanging with me. I want you to go out. I want you to be useful. I want to send you to people who don't have the opportunity to hang with me the way you do. Right? And, and so they, he sends them out with power and authority to, 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 to perform miracles, to, to cast out demons, to do uh, speaking of, and, and in their speaking to establish the kingdom of God's coming. Uh, and then uh, uh, we pick up the story we're going to do two kind of quick snapshots. The first one, though, I, I want you to look at. We're in Mark chapter 6. And by the way, if you, if you have a Bible, um, you can look with me there. If you don't, there's a few on the sides. Anybody need one uh, that we can distribute uh, to you? Looks like everybody's got one. So um, we're in Mark chapter 6. And uh, at the beginning of this chapter, uh, in verse uh, uh, 6 or so, uh, Jesus sends them out. Now we pick it up at verse 14 
because uh, Mark wants to do something with this kind of little parenthetical thing. Because as the disciples go out into mission, um, and word begins to spread about Jesus, and people are beginning to be forced to make decisions about who he is as they go out in his name, right? And, and, and the, the, the people are all over the map. They can't quite figure out, is he a good rabbi? Is he a great teacher? Is he an Old Testament prophet? What is he? Well, one of the, the, the themes of Mark is this questioning that results finally in the kind of the mountaintop experience of Mark chapter 8 in which the disciples finally come to the conclusion and state out loud, even though they aren't imp- aware of its full implications, you are the Christ. We get who you are. But we're not there yet. How many of you know that, that people still were disciples of Jesus even though they didn't believe in who he was? That's why I love the garden here. We're not so interested about defining things at the edge. We're interested more in life from the center. That people come to fall in love with Jesus maybe before they are fully aware of who he is. That's the way it was with the disciples of, of Jesus themselves. So they're not aware of it yet. The demons know who he is. The disciples are still asking questions. Mark chapter 4 uh, stills the storm. Who is this? Right? So here we are in Mark chapter 6. There is a, a, a political figure named Herod who has um, uh, uh, begun to hear rumors about Jesus and, and, and isn't sure what to do with him. But his guilty conscience spins the news about Jesus in such a way that he thinks that he is John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Mark's version of this story is to help us know people are going to come to conclusions about Jesus out of their own insecurities, out of their own fears, out of their own um, uh, guilt. And Herod is one of these. So out of his guilty conscience, he becomes aware in his own consciousness, he becomes uh, he comes to the conclusion that Jesus is John the Baptist come back from the dead. John the Baptist, you may remember, Mark tells us, got dead because this Herod executed him as a birthday present to his stepdaughter. He wanted to curry favor with his uh, new wife and, uh, with the, and, and to save his own face uh, when he had spoken rashly Uh, he executed John the Baptist. And so this plays obviously on his conscience. When this kind of stuff is happening with Jesus, he comes to the conclusion it must be uh, John the Baptist come back from the dead. As it turns out, he's wrong. Guilty conscience rarely leads you to the right kind of conclusion. But in this particular case, Mark includes this story so that we know two things. One, If you're going to be a witness for Jesus, things might not turn out well for you. Right? Remember, he's just sent them out on mission. Good things have been happening. But John was likewise a good witness to Jesus, and bad things happened to him. This is important because Mark is writing to a Roman church that is undergoing exactly these kinds of persecutions. They are being beheaded. They are being executed. They are being tortured. They're going to be sent to the lions in the Colosseum for the entertainment of the crowd. All because they are witnesses of Jesus. 
So why do bad things happen to good people? Well, sometimes because those good people are witnesses to Jesus and they incite animosity and anger in people who are guilty in conscience. And the response of that sometimes is very painful. In fact, Mark is going to suggest at a later time that one of the proofs you are exactly in the will of God is that things aren't going too well for you. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because we, at least those of us who have been brought up in the Christian faith, have come to believe that if we give our lives to Jesus, things will go better progressively from there on out. Not necessarily. Look at Jesus. He was in the exact center of God's will his entire life. And things didn't turn out so good for him. At least in terms of the cross. So if we follow and bear witness to somebody like that, why are we surprised when bad things happen to us? And it gives us then a secondary opportunity in those bad things to bear witness to the reality of Jesus. You with me? But the second thing that uh, uh, Herod is, is doing here, or Mark is doing through the telling of this story, is giving us this kind of framework for who Jesus might be. And as we build to chapter 8, uh, more and more people will be speaking out their conclusions about the identity of Jesus. So um, that's part of why that story is there. I wish we could spend some more time in it, but I really want to get to the, to the uh, main text this morning, which begins at verse 30 in chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, look with me. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The disciples have come back, right, from their mission trip. Jesus has sent them away. They have now come back, and we pick it up at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now, many people saw them going and recognized them. So they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived where the disciples were going ahead of them. When Jesus went to shore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. It got late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. The hour is now very late, so send them away so that they can go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them and said, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we supposed to go and spend two-thirds of a year's wage on, buy, on bread and then give it to them to eat? He said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They found out. They said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit on the ground in groups, of, uh, in, in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were filled 
And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand men. So we're able by extension to suggest that the crowd may have been ten to fifteen thousand people who were fed that day. This is an amazing story. It has such great power. It's one of those ones that if you were like in a vacation Bible school when you were a kid or Sunday school, you spent time with this story. So let's unpack it a little bit uh, in terms of what it says to us here at the church this morning. First of all, the disciples come back from their missionary trip. They are all excited. They are all ready to be trusted. Remember I said that God is seeking in this passage, I think, to train us how to become the kinds of people that Jesus can use. The disciples here are our model. They are being useful to the kingdom, and they come back. They are ready. They are loaded. They are ready for bear. They are good to go, right? And what does Jesus say to them as they begin to report out what has occurred? He does not say to them, good on you, go back out and do it again. He says, let's go away to a quiet place and rest. There's a missional strategy here. After you have been engaged in intense ministry of some kind that has resulted in an adrenaline surge, your body's natural response to that adrenaline surge is the gift of depression. Amen, amen. That is intended by God to restore you to balance. If you work out of adrenaline over much, what will happen? Your adrenal gland will swell and you will become very, very sick. Jesus is aware of this. So what does he do to them? Let's go on a short vacay. Let's do a, let's, well, we can't do a staycation because too many people know us here. So let's go away to a deserted place, a lonely place, a rocky place, and let's just have some you and me time. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that a nice sound? Some Jesus and me time. Let's go and do that. Because he wants them to recover from their ministry. He wants them to get the adrenaline levels back down to an appropriate level so they can just keep on functioning. In other words, depression is not always of the devil. Sometimes it's a gift. Can I get an amen from somebody? Right? Just relax. Just relax. You'll be all right in about 24 hours and you can get going again. Right? Anybody who has had that kind of a push of surge of adrenaline in preaching or teaching or performing or acting, right? I mean, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. Just, uh, uh, Jesus is really, really smart. Can I just get a witness? Yeah, okay. So here he comes in. He says, let's take some time and let's recover. Let's recover. So these guys are, 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 are amped up for this. All right, this is cool. This is good. We get to spend some quality time with Jesus, right? So they get in the boat, begin to, to journey. Do you have my map? They didn't like my, I, I like this map here, up here, but they like, okay, here we are. You see that little blue space? That's the Sea of Galilee. You see the village there called Capernaum? That's where they start out, and they end up going, ooh, a pointer. And they end up going over to uh, the, uh, just outside of Bethsaida. So it's only a distance of a couple, three miles, Right? And you can see as they cross that kind of little jut out in the bay in the morning, in, in, in the, as they head out, that, and people get where they're going. This lake is about 630 feet below sea level. From almost every point around it, you can look down and see the surface of the whole lake. So the crowds 
knowing what's going on, they can look off the cliffs onto the surface of the sea and see where they're going. So what do they do? They decide to hike over and meet them when they finally arrive at that northeast section of the lake. So they get there walking before the disciples get there rowing. You with me? 5,000 people, up now by maybe 10, 15,000 people are there as Jesus and the disciples arrive at the retreat site for a, a gentle time of restoration and recovery, right? You got, you, you with me? So, so the disciples, you can, especially Mark's disciples, you can hear them starting to, oh crap, this is not going to turn out well for us. We just wanted some time with the man. We just wanted some time for him to tell us how good we are, to pat us on the head and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And what do we get? We get 10,000 people greeting us as we get off the boat. And you know what he's going to do. He's going to have compassion on them. This is not going to be good for us because he cares more about them. And sure enough, he cares for them, he teaches them, he's ministering to them all day, right? And the disciples are checking their Rolexes. They're just, well, probably not, but... They're, you know, checking the sundial. They're looking at the sun go down, whatever it is. And, and about as the day begins to wane, and, uh, uh, Jesus, just a, just a word? We're in the middle of nowhere. Send these people home. Be kind and compassionate to them. What they're really saying is, be kind and compassionate to us. Right? Send them home. Let them go to the villages in the area and um, get something to eat. Because the day's already over and, you know. And Jesus just looks at them, and, you, and I hate it when he does this. Has he ever looked at you with just this twinkle in his eye? And you know that what's going to come next is going to tweak your entire world, right? He just says to them, well, you feed them. And right at that moment, those 12 guys are just saying, he's been out in the sun all day. I think it's gone to his head. I think he's out of his mind. I think he's lost it here. Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. If we had two-thirds of a year's wage, if we had that, there's no villages here where we could go and buy bread at this time of the day. Every baker is going to be out in the, at the end of the day anyway. What, do you, what, do you, what should we do? And Jesus says, oh, guys, you are so smart. I didn't think of that. Well, what do you have? And I love this response. Because you're, you're, you're getting this twinge of cynicism, sarcasm in their voices. Right? 10,000 people. What have you got? Five loaves. Oh, and two fish. Right? Because what what, what's anybody going to do with that? Nothing. And what's fascinating to me is the word here in behind loaves is, is uh, barley loaves. These are, this is a peasant's lunch. This is, this is not the best they have. This is, this is left. This is what you give. You don't give this to company. You know what I mean? This, this, is, what, this is the heel of the, of the loaf. This is, this, is, this is what you feed. You know, when you're scrounging around and you haven't gone to the grocery store, this is the bread that you end up eating. You, you with me? 
and then two fish who have been out in the sun all day. Just saying. So he brings all of this stuff. They get, yeah, 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 oh, 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 Jesus says. Have them sit down to eat. Right? Arrange them in systematic order. And somewhere in between the sitting down to eat and the distribution, enough food materializes after Jesus has given thanks for the nothing to feed 10,000 people. And the disciples get to be part of the distribution network of the miracle of God's provision. They get to come back time after time after time and get another basket full of bread and fish fragments and distribute them until 10,000 people have had enough to eat. And as part of that distribution network, you can hear the question that's in their heads. Will there be enough for us? How do I know that's what's in, in their heads? Because I believe that's what would be in my head. Here we are, ministering to the thousands. Is there anything of Jesus left for me? Here we are, feeding everybody. Is there anything left for me? Anybody else resonate with that question? That's why I love this statement at the end of the story, verse 43. And they took up 12 bushel baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Why 12? 12 disciples. Each of those whiny, complainy disciples ended up with a bushel basket full of lunch. One of the lessons they need to learn about Jesus is that if you get in partnership with him and are part of his distribution network, there will be enough for you. It's a hard lesson. Hard lesson. So what is going on here in this story? Remember I suggested to you that the disciples are here like we are as readers of this story being trained to be trusted. God is seeking to increase our capacity <coughs> to be trusted with resources. How do the things that are in our hands become available to feed the thousands to whom Jesus wishes to send us and upon whom he has compassion? You know the answer to this story. We give them to Jesus. We give them to Jesus. Here's the problem. We think that what Jesus wants is our best. That if we bring our best to Jesus, if we bring our resources, if we bring our talents, if we bring our skills, if we bring our abilities, if we bring the things that we're good at, then Jesus can use those to really make a difference in the kingdom. But it's significant that these guys brought a peasant's lunch. They brought not something, but they brought their nothing. They brought their deficit. They brought the reminder of everything that they weren't to Jesus.
And he took that and offered it up with thanksgiving and used it to make a difference in the lives of 15,000 men and women and children. What does that mean to you? A lot of us are sitting here this morning, I sense, as I was praying about this and coming in here, because there's a number of ways we could take this wonderful little story, but here's where I think I need to take this. Some of you are sitting here today being reminded of how you really have nothing to give to Jesus. You've, you are reminded of inadequacy. You're reminded of failure. You're reminded of things that have been spoken over you. You're reminded of mistakes you've made. You're reminded of decisions you've done that have resulted in a, in a, in a toxic environment situation. Some of you are thinking of the abortion you had when you were 14. Some of you are thinking of, of the, the sexual lifestyle that has been damaging and broken to you and to people you love. Some of you are thinking about the lies that you told to get to the place that you're at. Some of you are thinking about all of those things and are reminded of those on a regular basis. You'll wake up in the middle of the night with that crisp memory of shame on your head. I want you to take those things in your hand and bring that nothing, bring that deficit, bring that brokenness, bring that pain, bring that to Jesus. Let him take that in his hand and see what he can do with what you can do nothing with. Let him have that story that is your story of shame that you dare not tell anybody else lest they think less of you. Let Jesus, who already knows that story and thinks not less of you for it, let him have that story and see how he might use you to feed the nations. Is it possible that he needs somebody with just your brokenness to be bred to somebody whose brokenness parallels yours? Is that possible? That he might need somebody who has screwed up their marriage the way you have to be bred to somebody who thinks the way they've messed up their marriage means they are a failure too. Is it possible that he might actually want to use you to change the world? Now here's the deal. As long as your story is in your hands, there's nothing Jesus can do with it. But if you release it to him, there's no telling how he might use it. I'd like some of you to walk out of this place this morning, not with a new past, but with a new future built on a redeemed path. I'd like some of you this morning to walk out of here saying, I don't have much. All I can give is my nothing and give that. Because my guess is, Jesus wants to trust you with the good news for the people in your life. Are you in? Let's pray. Just remain for a moment with your heads bowed. Jamie and, and our worship team are going to come back. In a second, I'm going to ask, though, if you are here today and you recognize i got stuff in my hands that I don't know what to do with, I've been trying as hard as I can 
to fix it. I've been trying as hard as I can to make it right. I just can't do it. I still wake up shamed. I still wake up embarrassed. I still wake up um, uh, inadequate in the sense of failure. I don't know what to do with this. Can I ask you this morning to give it to Jesus? Let him not rewrite your past, but write a new ending for your future. Let him take what you offer and use it to heal the nations. It's not up to you what he does with it. Because once you release it to him, it's now in his hands, not yours. If you're here this morning and we can pray with you in that, I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are and let us have the privilege of gathering around you and praying a new future into your story. Is there anybody like that? Others just stand. And as people stand around or near you, uh, why don't you go ahead, the people who are the garden, go and stand with them, pray with them, uh, and, and, and ask God's presence. Uh, and act in Jesus' role to receive those stories. Um, all of you are deputized as prayers, so if you're not standing uh, to be prayed for, I'm going to invite you to find somebody to pray with, um, and let's just spend a few minutes and surrender and release this morning. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.